Hi, this is the Nonprofit Inbound Marketing Show, the podcast for nonprofit and mission driven organizations where we talk about fundraising challenges, helping your organization to make positive impact and do good in the community. Every week, I interview leaders and experts in the nonprofit sector who work with dozens of mission driven organizations like yours and share their best strategies how to overcome the daily challenges of growing a nonprofit. This podcast is brought to you by DepositFix, a donation processing platform designed for nonprofits that use HubSpot. Welcome to the show. Hi, everyone. Today, it is my pleasure to interview Jacqueline Lally about content marketing for nonprofit companies, what content marketing is, how it affects your SEO, and all the good stuff. Jackie is a co-founder and partner at Yodel Pope digital marketing and web development agency working with mission-driven companies and nonprofits. Prior to co-founding Yodel Pope, she worked for many years as director of communications for a national nonprofit organization, and then she also worked as a communications consultant. Welcome to the show, Jackie. Thank you. It's good to be here. So tell us, how did you get started uh, working with nonprofit companies? Sure. Uh, I always knew that I wanted to work in the nonprofit sector, and I also knew that I uh, wanted to go into editorial work, content work. So those two things really came together nicely in uh, the first job that I had out of college, which was as an editorial assistant at a national nonprofit. And I stayed there for quite a while and built up a variety of different types of experiences. I think that really led me forward. And in my role as communications director later on, I think that kind of ambidextrous, multidextrous capability really, really helped in the nonprofit world as a marketer. And even as a a marketing leader, you've got to be able to, uh, you've got to be able to do the work yourself, as well as manage others in doing the work and, and create the vision. So that's kind of how, how it happened for me. I started as an editorial assistant, did, a, did an internship at Yale University Press, and that combined with kind of hands-on nonprofit work really fueled my passion for serving the nonprofit field in that way. So today we talk primarily about content marketing. So from your experience, nonprofit organizations, do you feel like that's a low-hanging fruit for a majority of uh, mission-driven organizations? Well, content is low-hanging fruit. That, I think that many of the nonprofit, the friends I have in the nonprofit sector, as well as our business associates, may not understand how much they have in their content. The fact that they are content, they're inherently content experts in the field that they're working in really is often an untapped resource. They have information that people want. They have information that's going to make the world a better place. And that really is, that that does make content marketing the low-hanging fruit. The higher-hanging fruit is how to take that content and turn it into resources that are going to get get you support and get you supporters. So let's talk about that. So let's start first with just content. What pieces of content or like in general the strategy for content generation for uh, nonprofit organizations or the biggest problems that, or pitfalls that you see majority of nonprofits uh, make. And then let's switch talking to content marketing then. What kind of content do you think uh, nonprofit organizations should pay attention to? What uh, kind of content maybe they usually do not have, or maybe they have, but they don't use it effectively? 
great. Yeah. So most nonprofits, and and just I want to acknowledge up front the diversity of types and missions of organizations that exist under the nonprofit umbrella. There are associations. There are human services organizations, advocacy organizations. There's so much div, uh, very kind of variety and diversity and mission that it can be it can be hard to generalize. But most nonprofits are you know have some content the sources that are readily available to them that are being untapped. Those could include presentations by experts if you have a conference. That's one, I'd say the biggest untapped source of content that we find organizations that we start working with have presentations at meetings and conferences that they've hosted that might just kind of be sitting there, even if they're not fully recorded. The, the presentations themselves, the slide decks, the, the abstracts, those kinds of things fact sheets that your organization has published that are PDFs that you might be sharing, that you might be sharing, you know, ungated on your website or not even have on your website, print materials, articles from your e-newsletter, your magazine or journal, if you have those things, annual reports, you know, most nonprofits do annual reports. So there's that kind of content source that can be tapped for, for digital content even emails that you find you and your staff find yourself sending out, you know, that are created on the fly. Those are often really good sources. Uh, they can be the beginning of a, a blog, personal stories. So this is another thing that nonprofits have access to that often businesses have a harder time with because there is a higher level of trust between you and your audience. Personal stories from your volunteers, advocates, people on staff, even, you know, we can talk, talk about how to, how to leverage that content into online content, social media. So further kind of developing those posts that you might be putting out there that are short. Those are a good source for starting to develop digital content. Donor appeals, the letters that you send out to people talking about your great work and encouraging them to, to become supporters. Then also, you know, things, pieces of content that you can create that, that might not already be ready-made, but you have sources like interviews, you know, interviews with experts, not necessarily within your team, but partners, materials that your partner organizations might be producing, but not have a way to get out there. And then finally, if you are a nonprofit that's been engaged in content marketing, you might have a lot of old blog posts. So as we move forward in the conversation, talk about how SEO has changed. There have been a lot of changes and earlier on, even just in the past, you know, a few years ago, a lot of organizations and businesses were still under operating under the model that you have to churn out lots and lots of blog content every week to really succeed online. And now with the changes in SEO, um, you know, longer form content is being rewarded more. It's about quality, not quantity. So going back and looking at some of that old content, that was, that was generated kind of under the old model, you can have uh, tremendous success. I love it. So even before, t I, I thought that we'll start talking about, you know, the content and what kind of content do you need to generate. But the first step is to really look at what you already have that you are not effectively uh, utilizing, right? Because there are so many things that you already have and you don't need to necessarily produce any new content. At least that's the low-hanging fruit, right? Because we want to make it as efficiently as possible. And if producing more and more content is going to take so much time, then if you already have something, 
then let's work with what you already have. I love it. So let's say that we've found a few pieces of content that we already have that we can start utilizing that we have not used before. What would be your recommendation? How do we best find a use of this content? Great. Yeah. There are kind of two different answers to that question. One is how to group your content and how to develop a content strategy. The other one is the more mechanical, well, I've got this fact sheet. How do I get it out there online? The, the kind of technical aspect. And the, the answer to the second question is a little bit simpler. And I think it's simpler because people have heard it by now. Five years ago, you'd ask that question. And, and you know, most people I know in the nonprofit world would have been like, yeah, I don't know how to do that. Taking that content and turning it into blogs, turning it into videos, explainer videos, even just talking videos, taking that content and turning it into an ebook that can be online and generate contacts for you uh, as gated contact content. So that's the kind of more the mechanical aspect of it. And we could talk all day about that. I think where the bigger hole in knowledge is and understanding is the how the new quote unquote new SEO, which has been, you know, around for a few years now is rewarding websites, organizations, companies for grouping your content into topic clusters. So it's really important now that you start from that place. Look at your, some of the big topics that your organization tackles and grouping the content under those big topics or core topics. And then um, building out a long web page, a pillar page that deals with that topic because SEO is rewarding organizations for that long form content, um, minimum 2000 words per page it needs to have a specific type of design of user interface and user experience in order to be successful and be rewarded online. So you really need that core long form piece of content and it needs to be surrounded with smaller content. So typically, and for a lot of nonprofits, the easiest way um, to, to do that is blogs. So you have that big topic in the middle that's on a long page and around it, if you can envision, you know, a hub, uh, or a, a spoke, a wheel with spokes in the center, you've got the, the big topic and all of the spokes connect to smaller topics. Those smaller topics are blogs that deal with the individual, kind of the smaller questions that your ideal supporters have about that topic and blogging about those and then linking inward from those blogs to the pillar page. So that's a kind of the basics of a, a topic cluster strategy. Can you share with us, so for any business, local business, it is clear that you, those pillar uh, pieces, those pillar pages are like the, the, your main service pages. But for a nonprofit organization, how many pillar uh, pages would you recommend and how do we structure that? Where on the website those pillar pages leave? Sure. Usually the pillar pages live in an area that that is called resources. They can also be they can also be blogs. If you want to start, a lot of times it's less intimidating to start with a blog that's doing well and say, hmm, why is this doing well? How can we kind of maximize that? Start adding to the blog, making it longer and longer. So in that case, it would live on your blog, but, but ideally you move it um, into a prominent place in the navigation. So it could be a, a main navigation item. It could be a main navigation item called resources with the sub-items sub being your pillar pages. 
not to get too kind of technical, but it, but that's that's often what the best solution for any any website. It can also be it, so so once you have it in the right in the right place, then the, the most important thing is promoting that pillar page as much as possible. How many you should have is you know if if I were answering that question for a really large organization, I would say yeah, start by deciding what your 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 uh, master plan is for pillar pages, and let's plan out you know all of the pillar pages that are going to cover the main areas of your mission. So say you are a foundation that has several different program areas. Well, that's pretty clear. You have one pillar page per program area. Really, you know, nonprofits have structure. And so you want to look at the structure of your organization and your mission, starting with your mission, and craft a content mission statement that tells you, oh, this is our organization's mission, and this is what we should be doing with our content to support that mission. So a content mission statement is a good way to start figuring out how many pillar pages you should have and what they should be about. Generally, it's, it's going to be program areas, but there are lots of different ways to do it. And you want those decisions to be dictated partly by your knowledge as an organization and partly by what people want. I mean, that is... That's, I think, where a marketing partner can make the biggest difference starting to work with an organization or business. It's really not different in, in that respect. Helping the organization see what it is that their potential supporters are curious about and what their problems are, what the gaps in their knowledge are that they really want to fill and filling those gaps. All of those things are questions that need to be answered when you're deciding which pillar pages, you know, what your topics should be for the topic clusters. Now, that said, if you're a small nonprofit or really any organization, you don't have to do it all at once. And I think one thing that stops organizations from really starting a content marketing strategy is intimidation over all that needs to be done. The best way to start is to pick a topic research it, know that, that you're the right one to publish on that. And I want to talk about that a little bit more and get started. Don't wait until you have everything all mapped out. You can start with one topic cluster that is the most important issue or the most pressing issue or the one that is getting the most public attention. The need is the greatest for that information. And just get started with one. The other thing you need to really pay attention to in deciding which which topics you're going to take on in a pillar page is which topic can I actually rank for? And that's something that it, it does help to, you know, you, you, you're going to want to have some help making that determination because it's this intersection between the, the po SEO popularity of a topic and your ability to to compete with what's already online. And there are ways, there are formulas that, that you need to look at to make sure that that's happening. They have to do with how other pages that deal with that topic are doing, kind of what the real estate is like out there, and can you do better. If you can't do better on uh, a core topic that you're interested in doing a pillar page on, then, then, then one that's really already out there, you might want to think about whether you want to take that on. It may not be a good use of your resources you know, whether you can c compete or not, it doesn't necessarily take into account your social media following or your internal, your, your contacts that you already have. A lot of times 
nonprofits have access to audiences other than um, organic traffic that they can use to promote their content. And if it's really, really good, it can have a fighting chance at competing. I wanted to touch on the topic that you brought up, and that's really the procrastination. So you talked about do not wait until you have a clear picture of what you're going to be a whole content marketing strategy, but start somewhere. And I just want to point out that if you feel like you need to have the whole strategy, you might be procrastinating because just start with one piece, start somewhere, start small, but do that. And then once you make the first step, all of a sudden, probably, you know, the fog is going to clear up and then you'll see a little bit better what your next step should be. But once you start, that's going to make it a little bit uh, clearer for you. You're so right. And once that first pillar page is published, it really becomes this model um, that you can replicate and it gets so much easier. And even maybe the first page, you don't even need to do a lot of research, just start somewhere. But then once you're ready to do research and you're sure that that's not procrastination, but when you're ready to kind of expand on that particular uh, page that you already have, share with us a little bit more about that SEO research that needs to happen to make sure that we're able to rank that page higher than the competition. So probably, with so what you've mentioned is that first we need to analyze the competition. It's not like you are in a vacuum. It's really looking at your competitors, what the, uh, what pages are out there, how much content they have, the way that they structure that, whether they have videos there, and then just think how you can be better than them, right? That's true. That's true. It is worth getting a professional opinion on that. But in general, yes, you want to look and see if the content that you're trying to compete with has, you know, the the um, volume of content <laughs> that that Google likes, you know, 2000 words at minimum, a lot of pillar pages. I think we just, you know, published a pillar page with a client that's 8000 words. Uh, you can't have too much as long as it's valuable to your persona and as long as it's designed correctly. Because that kind of, you know, that kind of content really requires a specific type of design. The other elements on the page that are going to make it, help you make that call is uh, embedded video, as you mentioned, a great user experience. Is it easy to find and use all of the content on the page? Excellent mobile as well as desktop interface. If it doesn't have that, if the competitor content doesn't have that, that's something you can compete on. You can leverage uh, a menu just for that page. So getting back to that, you know, is the content easy to navigate? Graphics, infographics, photos, you know, and then for your conversion purposes, things like inline call, calls to action, uh, the ability to download the, the content of the page, share buttons, and then obviously perfect SEO. You know, it has to have perfect SEO. So yeah, you can find other, you know, if the, the pages that you're looking at that you're kind of looking to compete with don't have all of those things, it may be worth, you know, take, taking a stab at it. Yeah. And either way, I mean, the thing with nonprofits is you, you believe in your mission. Your supporters believe in your mission. There's a reason for you to exist. There's, there's a reason for that pillar page to exist. It's just a matter of finding the right way to, to get it out there. It's not like you should give up just because somebody already has a similar pillar page. There are lots of strategies you can use to find your niche and get your message out there. 
Can you share with us an example of a pillar content topic specifically and the company that uh, you've done this for? And what was the call to action? Uh, do you we usually use a call to action, something like donate or, you know, support? Sure. Uh, we've done tons of pillar pages. I'm thinking of one recently for Medical Research Foundation that is educating people about the largest cause of fatal childhood obesity, uh, which is Prader-Willi syndrome. They, they, the pillar, pillar page that we did for the Foundation for Prader-Willi Research contains all of that, all of those elements, of course, leverages their, their unique research knowledge about this topic. The call to action, I'm going to give away a secret here. <laughs> so the call to, we usually recommend that the call to action on the pillar pages be download the contents of the pillar page. So you're taking the contents of the pillar page and making it a download that's gated. So in, in exchange for that, for, for having the content, just having the content that you're already giving people, you're already giving it to them, giving it to them as a PDF is an effective call to action that's useful for people. In this case, parents of children with PWS want to take this information to their doctor. So they have it as PDF or they just want to keep it and have access to it. So that, that has been effective. In addition to a call to action on those pages, we're using, you know, pop-up form technology has been a game changer for, for nonprofits and businesses. So we kind of, one effective strategy can be to kind of pack a one-two uh, punch on that and have the call to action be download the contents and then a pop-up form upon exit intent that invites people to typically like our 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 favorite beginning of the the journey call to action is subscribe to an e-newsletter so subscribing to an e-newsletter as a pop-up form on that page it's going to get your results you mentioned call to action should it be donate that comes into the process and it's super important. Obviously, you need to, you know, many, many <laughs> nonprofits for them, what they're looking for in ultimately converting someone from a visitor to a supporter is a donation. So that needs to, to be part of your ask. But once you have that, a lot of people that are coming to your content for the first time are not going to be ready for that. So you nurture that lead through an email lead nurturing sequence. And in that sequence, you start working in donation calls to action right there. And the, the donation calls to action also come in, it can come in in the online content, in, in content that you have, that according to your buyer personas and according to the, the kind of typical, what you see people um, needing to learn about your issue in order to become a supporter, that call to action for donation typically would go on pages that are that are really kind of getting close to the end of the journey. Knowing that the, the importance of donations, it's not like you create that call to action and you leave it forever and it's always the same one. I think it, it would be a smart move to change that up over time. If you have a big push to promote your pillar page and it gets a ton of traffic, one thing you can do is change that call to action up as time goes on to start asking for donations. That's really important. And if you have, if you're using software, you know, contextual marketing software, inbound marketing software, you can set that page to show a call to action for donation to visitors that have been there before and that have downloaded that content. 
So you've started by nurturing them with more information, which they may want in the beginning. And then the next time they come back to the site, you're starting to ask them for a donation. So the kind of software that you're talking about, would that be HubSpot? Yep. Yeah. And there are a number of products out there. We, we have had great experiences with, with HubSpot. Let's talk a little bit about HubSpot specifically. And can you share with us specifically how HubSpot can help with all of this path so that we are able to show different CTA buttons and based on whether they've been on the website or not, identify what the call to action is going to be? Great. Yeah. I love, I love to talk about that. <laughs> so what, what HubSpot offers to nonprofits is the opportunity to really follow every single visitor that's come to your website. And when I say follow, I don't mean that in like a creepy spying kind of way. I just mean to recognize users when they come back and to serve them content that they're going to respond to, that they like. So for example, the first time someone comes, you know, part, part of it is the contextual calls to action. Part of it is the smart content. So those are different kind of different names um, for different types of content and being able to recognize. So when, when a visitor comes back to look at your content to say, oh, you know, Gene, you know, it, this is HubSpot talking to itself. <laughs> I see that you've been here before. You know, I see that you're really interested in this topic. Now I'm going to start providing calls to action instead of, you know, the first time you came, I probably gave you a call to action that said, download this content so that you can read it more, uh, subscribe to the e-newsletter so that you can get more of this content every, every month. And now that you've been, you know, you've been um, engaging with the organization for a bit of time, I'm going to show you a call to action that says donate. And, uh, and that kind of buyer's journey is something that you only get that, that, you know, adaptation to where the person is in learning about your work and about the subject is really, really important and not something that you can really do any other way. And HubSpot has lots of different levels of subscription that, that still allow you to do that, that are very conscious of, of nonprofit budgets. The other piece, I would say that there are so many really important pieces of marketing software that you can use Email marketing and email lead nurturing is a really critical piece. That top of the funnel offer for, the, for an e-newsletter, for example, that's something that's a quick win that lots of people subscribe to. So you can, it's a, and using marketing software um, like HubSpot allows you to offer that and get someone's email address so that you can keep sending them information about the issue that you work on and also engage them in your fundraising. So that's pretty, pretty powerful stuff. Where can listeners know more about you and what you do and how you can help them? Sure. Our website is yodelpop.com, Y-O-D-E-L-P-O-P.com. And they can go there and request a consultation anytime. Any last parting words? <laughs> Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity and I really appreciate the work that, that you guys are doing to help nonprofits with the donation process. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. And I'm so honored that you are listening to the show. Don't forget that you can subscribe to the podcast. If you have any time to leave a review, I'd really appreciate it if you take it just a second to leave the rating.